All right, let's pray one more time. We'll get into the, the word tonight. Lord, we love you. Lord, we want to receive revelation from your heart. And I'm asking that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit and you would instruct us in the knowledge of you that we would come to a greater understanding of your dreams, your desires, your nature, who you are and what's in your mind. That God, we would relate to you rightly, that you would drain out of us all the offense that's within us as it relates to God because we have wrong understanding of you. That we might see you as the good God who loves to do mercy. So Lord, I'm asking in the name of Jesus, release revelation. Release revelation to us. Lord, we just give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, good. And everybody said amen. Amen. Find with me Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to continue on the same theme we've been on the last couple weeks. We're talking about the riches of God's mercy. I was thinking about something this week, <clears throat> and I want to um, kind of open this up with this, with this concept, with this in our mind. You know, there's many things that we would love to receive from the Lord. Um, you know, we all come to God in prayer and say, God, would you, and fill in the blank, and I mean, there might be, uh, I mean, there are just uh, an amazing plethora of things that we ask God for all the time. And uh, yet there's nothing that, that supersedes or that's greater than, and this is going to seem almost wrong when I say it to you, but, it, but I'm going to expand on it. But there is nothing greater than when the Lord rece- uh, reveals revelation to your heart. There really is nothing better than that. Here's why. When God releases revelation to your heart of who he is, there is no greater blessing under creation than the human heart coming in contact with the true revelation of whom God is. What happens is all the mechanisms in your life that desire satisfaction, all the longings, all the features inside of you that want and, and desire, when you get real revelation of the knowledge of who God is, every one of those longings and those desires begins to get touched because every desire that's working in you, every longing, whether it's a craving in your flesh or a craving in your soul or a craving in your spirit, every longing that's working in you is a longing really for God. He gives you a little bit in this life to sort of, you know, just kind of pacify you while you're on your way to this journey to understand that he is the only thing that alone satisfies. And so when we say something like, God, you are my portion, what we're really saying is everything else is not going to satisfy me. Whether it's a million dollars, whether it's a fat cheeseburger, whether it's a, you know, chocolate cake, a great relationship, a super title, the accolades of millions, to win American Idol, whatever. None of that will satisfy me. I know there's all these cravings in me that are screaming for stuff and for people to like me. And, I, you know, your, your, your body, and I, how do I know this so well? 
Because I feel it. <laughs> but you've got cravings in your emotions and your flesh and your body is, is screaming for things and your mind and your emotions are screaming for things and your spirit is desiring God. And, and a lot of times what we do is we misunderstand the, the craving of the flesh and of the mind is fully evil and the craving of the spirit is only that which is holy. But I tell you, the Bible says, my, my soul longs for God. My flesh longs for God. So all the cravings that are going on within you, all the desires and all the longings, whether it's to be filled with food or have the accolades of millions or have a million bucks or have a cool title or whatever it is, all those desires that are working in within you are truly authored by God so that you would come to this end and understand that the greatest desire that you have, the desire that will fill the need of all those longings and cravings, is God himself. And so, the greatest blessing you can possibly receive in this life is this. God revealing God to you. Because when God reveals God to the human heart, all those longings and, and desires begin to get satisfied in this. The creation is coming in contact with the creator. And the creator has put within the creation a God-shaped desire in every feature and piece of your being that all day cries out and says, I want God, whether it's your soul, your, your flesh, or your spirit. All day long, your body cries out, I want God. And when God reveals God to you, all of a sudden, those longings get to be uh, satisfied at a whole nother level than when you just pacify them with that cheeseburger. Come on, now, that's pretty good, I thought. That's pretty, pretty true, I thought. So, I wanted to just mention that because we must have revelation of God. That's the point. We've got to have revelation of God. We've got to know God. I'm just tired of walking around veiled in my understanding of God, thinking things about God that are just not true about God, not understanding God. When I read the Bible and I read what God is and what he's like, all of a sudden I realize the way that I perceive God. I'm talking about me, the preacher, who spends hours in prayer all week long and studies this deal. And it's not just me, the preacher. I mean, all of us in the house, I mean, we know this. We spend hours and hours and hours before God. Yet, when we read the Word and we get a little light on it, all of a sudden, all these ideas that we have about who God is, all of a sudden they just begin to shift and change and the wrong paradigms begin to melt away and we just get a little bit of a tweak and we go, unbelievable, you really are good. He goes, I've been saying it all along. And I go, I know, but I just didn't get it. He goes, well, it's no problem. Just get it now. I go, okay. Yes, life is good because you're good. And all of a sudden I start getting a little bit of tweak here and there of who God is. And the next thing you know, it changes the entire way I look at stuff. I don't want to go on living, not knowing him. He's too good not to know. And I think so many thoughts about God that are unworthy of God. We know that it's a quote from A.W. Tozer. We know it real well. But when you imagine things about God that are not worthy of God, what you end up doing is you've created a God that's uh, in your own image. It's not who he is. And that God is actually an idol. It's a different God than the real God. I don't want to live that way, worshiping a supposed God who is not God. I was just reading today about mercy and loving kindness. Again, just pouring through the scriptures. How kind he is. 
How merciful he is. Considering these, these terms the Bible uses, and then you go and look at the different versions, and you go, wait a minute. And the, what you end up finding out is the different versions, whether it's New American Standard, New International Version, New King James, King James, you'll read the three, four, five versions, and all of a sudden you'll realize they'll take the same word, you know, the Bible's written in Hebrew and Greek. So you'll take the Hebrew word, and then between four versions, they might translate one word four or five different ways even. And it's really even more than that. In one text, in one sentence, they might do four completely different ways. But then you'll find where that word appears throughout the Old Testament. And you'll find, you'll find certain words, they translate it 50 different ways. Different words in English trying to get around just the Hebrew of that thing. And I don't mean they're, they're, they're opposing um, But what they're trying to do is they're just trying to give us real insight about what this word is saying. You know what the point is? The point is this. It's talking about God, God being merciful. And here's what you find out. Yeah, he's merciful, but merciful also has to do with being compassionate. It also has to do with being kind. And it's more than just being kind, it's being loving kind. Like, what's that? You go, oh, yeah. I mean, do you ever talk about another person as loving kind? I was at the bank, and the teller, she was so sweet. She was just loving kind. We never say that. Why? Because it's not a word. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's a word that describes one guy, God. Yeah, yeah, they were so, they were just, yeah, they came, and they had mercy on us. It was just tender mercy. I just really appreciated, you know, Stephen covered a set for me this week, and it was so merciful of him. It was just tender mercy. You should never say that about a person. But it works when you talk about God. And what I realized when all those words are translated all these different ways, you know what I realize? It's because we're groping to say something about him that's actually worthy of him. Yet there are no sequences of letters that you can put together to form words and no sequences of words that you can put together to form sentences in this life and in this age that even come close to being worthy of who he really is. Oh, he's good. He's really good. He's rich in mercy. So let's read our theme verses. I'm a little messed up with God. <laughs> I told told my wife, I said, I think I'm I think I'm about to have a crying week in the house of prayer. <laughs> you just start crying and then it just you can't find the button to turn it off and it just kind of goes. It's just because my heart's longing to know him. Verse four, but God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. God who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness tortoise in Christ Jesus. Let's read verse 7 again. That in the ages to come, that in the ages to come, he's saying he did verse 4, 5, and 6 
for a reason. He did verse 4, 5, and 6. He made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together, that in the ages to come, he might show to us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want to propose to you that while we get to touch and experience and, and sense and partake in this life of amazing amounts of God's tenderness, his kindness, his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his loving kindness, his tender mercy, while we get to in this life partake at, of great volumes of those attributes of who he is, I, I clearly the Bible is saying that he saved us, that in the ages to come, he might show us the riches of his grace, the excessive abundance of it, the excessive abundance of his loving kindness. So the point is, while we get to touch a great amount of it in this life, he's actually restraining himself. Now imagine that. God, who loves you infinitely, is actually releasing love on you, and it's an amount, amazing amount of love. It's enough love for him to crush his son to get to you. It's that level of love, but he's yet still holding back certain amounts of grace and loving kindness so that in the ages to come, he can actually shower you and lavish you with those things. That just, I mean, come on. I just mess with your brain. Like He goes, oh, you think it's good because you're blessed and happy and filled and you know I love you and I'm smiling and dancing and whirling and spinning and rejoicing over you because I love you, love you, love you. He goes, oh, you've never seen, you've, you've seen nothing yet. He goes, I just did enough to get your attention in this age. He goes, I'm going to lavish this stuff on you. He goes, oh, I'm about to spoil you in a big way. I started going, what is that? I want to know how could it be that inside of you and only God is only God can pull certain things off? You know what I mean? Only God can fully expose you to his love, riches of mercy, grace, tenderness, all this stuff. Only God can fully expose you to it while still restraining some from you. Only God. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. What's he talking about? He goes, I'm going to reveal it to you. It's a revelation idea. Because I'm going to expose it. I'm going to show it. You're going to partake of it. Grace in kindness. Now consider that one. The exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. It's a lot of syllables, but exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. So, there's some verses that actually give us a picture of this. So let's just, I just want to just, we'll take a little side journey on the front of this. Revelation 21, let's look at that. We're going to come back to mercy. We're going to talk about compassion a little bit. And a little bit about loving kindness tonight, time permitting. Because they're all, mercy is this package thing that's got all these pieces to it. You can't. It's a little bit difficult to separate it. But in Revelation 21, he gives us a... It's not, it's not any way... 
It's not extensive in any way, but he gives us a, a few little hints about what this exceeding riches of his grace in kindness in the ages to come is. I mean, we're getting in in a great measure now, enough to absolutely cause you to woo, I mean, cause your heart to be just wooed toward him and cause you to abandon your life. You're getting an amazing amount of riches and mercy. And, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's exceeding amount, but he's, he's, he's gonna, I mean, he's just gonna pull the curtain back or something. I don't know how it goes. Greater measures. You know, that is actually, is it on the stage or is it in the sound system? Yeah, it's up here. I'm sorry, excuse me. Oh, here it is. So Christian, that would be yours, I guess. There you go, buddy. (laughs) Sorry about that. I am in no way slick enough to actually like, oh yeah, there's nothing going on up there. There's no phone ringing. Praise God. I'm like, where is it? I'm like far too ADD to try to pull that off. Okay. Okay, Revelation 21. Let's look at this. All right. So, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So I I won't go into that. But that's pretty intense. And then John, verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There you have it. The New Jerusalem coming out of heaven. It says in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Consider that. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he shall dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself, I mean, if you didn't get it the first time, let's say it again. He goes, God himself will be with them and be their God. It's talking about full disclosure of deity in partnership with humanity. And he's talking about cohabitation. Living together in the same place with God. Huh. Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. For the former things have passed away. I love the NIV because the NIV says it this way. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said... Behold, I make all things new. He said, write these. Write, for these words are true and faithful. He says a few more things. He talks about drinking the water of life freely. In verse 7, he says, He who overcomes shall inherit all these things. 
I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Amazing to me. But what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2 is what John was seeing in Revelation 21. You know, in a measure. And what Paul was talking about, and it's amazing to me, but Paul had revelation on this thing, that there was coming a time when there would be a completely new order of existence and we would actually dwell and cohabitate with God. We would actually flow in and out of relationship with God without a veil. So you think this thing turns into, you know, some ethereal realm or it's just all floating around on clouds. I'm telling you, you are going to keep intact your sense of emotions. You're going to keep intact and in a, it's going to be in a much heightened way. Your mind and your emotions and your soul is going to have all the sensations, yet he's going, to dr- he's going to drain out all the negative stuff. And your spirit and your glory, you're going to have a glorified body. My, my boys love that part. But your spirit and your glorified body are going to be moving in your, uh, inside and working together, and your, your emotions are going to be moving together. This you're going to have such a unique makeup, it will be one that can sustain the very glory of God without any veils. I mean, God told Moses, says, you can't see my face. If you do, you'll die. Well, God's going to change all that. He's going to give you a, a frame that can handle, you know, untempered God unadulterated God. He's going to give you a frame that you can handle all of it. I'm not talking about a dream state you're going to be in. You're going to be in full revelation of God. You're going to be perceiving God at the highest measure possible. And when you do perceive God that way, you know what? It's going to be exceeding riches of his grace and kindness. You are going to have wave upon wave of goodness and kindness and love and mercy. It is going to absolutely, it would overload your senses in this age. But he's going to give you a frame that you can perceive all of it and take it all in. And you're going to move in emotion and love and fascination and beauty. And the uncreated God is going to fully divulge himself to you. And there will be no veil. What is that? He goes, I saved you for that. That's Ephesians 2. He goes, I want to be merciful to you because I love you. Why? Because I want to fully divulge myself to you. This thing is going to get so good. I mean, it's good, and we're partaking of his grace and his mercy, and, and perhaps we are receiving a full measure. It's just coming through a veil, but I'm telling you, there's a day the veil is going away, and God is going to change our frame. He's going to enable us to perceive God at the highest possible level. God can be perceived. God will dwell with them. And there's this little hidden thing. He goes, Verse 7, it's like God's little back pocket mission statement. I love chapter 19, verse 7. It's the bride has made herself ready, and the son is about to marry a bride. But here in this state, all of a sudden, everybody turns into sons and daughters. They turn into no veil between the father and them. 
So God's little, it's God's little mission statement that he kind of unveils. He goes, by the way, I know my son, he's getting a bride. I know this thing is about a wedding. It really is. He goes, but at the end of the day, guess what I'm going to have? A whole bunch of children that I get to love and show my goodness to and be good to. I'm saying this thing doesn't stop. It goes on for quite some time, and it just gets better and better and better and better, beloved. This is our good God. If he had one negative facet, if he was, uh, you know, uh, evil in any measure, that would not be the end of the story. The end of the story would be, and then God laughed a sinister laugh and smote everyone, and they all dissolved, and God flexed his muscle. I mean, it'd be something like that. But instead, it's, he goes, I am going to absolutely transform you so you and I can have full-blown intimacy forever and ever and ever. He goes, he goes this crazy thing, uncreated God goes, I want to dwell with you, with you. Not just how it is now, without any veils, without any flesh in the way. I want to open the curtain, and I want to be with you, and I want you to perceive me. There's no evil in God. You get that. There's no evil in him. He's not evil. He's not mean-spirited. Not quick to anger. He's slow to anger. Rich in mercy. Full of loving kindness. Tender mercies. The point of this story is God dreamed a dream. His dream was you. God dreamed a dream from eternity past, and his dream was you. And he goes, there is a whole way I'm going to have to do this to get to be with you, but I'll do a whole created order with galaxies. I'll do the whole thing so I can be with you. He dreamed a dream in eternity past before creation, and you were the dream. And he does creation so he can have you. I'm telling you, he does Genesis 1 so God can have you. Think about the implication, beloved. He does all of it so he can get to Revelation 21.7. He, he, he knew the end from the beginning, guys. He knew what he was doing the whole time. He dreamed this dream that in the ages to come he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. He goes, oh, he goes, I love that one. And he looked upon your frame and he saw you before you were formed and he, and he, and he dreamed it in the, in the eternity of God. He dreamed of you and you were created before you ever took a breath. You were created in God and he, he said, I must have that one. And he does all of created order for you to get you. I was... Uh, I told this story a few times, but I, I knew it would come up tonight. I, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I remember one time my wife and I were going to uh, bury our sorrows in some pizza. <clears throat> I know no one's ever done that. But there used to be, and I don't even, you can't even go there now because it's shut down. But there used to be an amazing restaurant in Athens, Georgia that had this pizza that was like this thick. 
And it was, instead of having the cheese on top and the sauce in the middle, it was full of cheese with the sauce on top. And you put all the uh, toppings and the ingredients inside. And the crust was this thick, and it was uh, oven-baked, stone-baked, and it took you 45 minutes to get a pizza. And, I mean, it was unstinking real. It was about, I mean, two slices, and you were packed to there with pizza, and it was just the best. I mean, I, I guess if it's gluttony, it's sin, but if you could stay out of gluttony, I mean, it was just the best possible non-sin, you know, just getting in and just going for it. It was amazing. So, and they had these crazy garlic rolls. They were crispy and soft at the same time, and they they were swimming in this garlic butter sauce, and it was unreal. And so, my wife and I, we're, uh, we were having a little challenge with the ministry. We had a couple hundred young people who hated us. It was a pretty interesting little time. And uh, youth ministries, if anybody's ever done youth ministry, God bless you. It's such an amazing love, hate, whatever. And uh, we were going through a negative season. (laughs) It's a nice way to say it. We had a mutiny on our hands. There was full-blown revolt, basically. And I was just trying to figure out how not to kill a few people. And so we were going to go bury our sorrows, and we did. And we ate our pizza, and we were driving home, and my wife is tired and full, and she's kind of dozing, and I'm driving, and you know what? It never, you know, you can never have a spiritual itch and fill it with a, a, a natural thing and, and make that itch go away. It just seems to heighten it, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm driving home, and now I'm mad because I'm more full than I wanted to be. I'm in pain. Every swallow, I can still taste the food. It's like, this is not cool. All I wanted to do was have a little pizza, and I'm like, I'm just wishing I wasn't there. So it didn't make my problem any better, and the stomach is full, and I'm hating life, and I'm driving, and I go in a moment of faith and power. I said, God, in my heart, I said, God, why did you even make people? We're all going to hell anyway. Why'd you even make us? (laughs) Thinking about my youth group, we're all going to hell. And the Lord answered back to me and said, why did I make you, son? And I was like, oh, oh no. Here's why. When God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's going to mess with you. I go, uh oh, you made us. And I kind of was like, oh, I don't want to do this right now, Lord. I am full of pizza. I'm fully garlicified. I don't want to do this. Don't do this. And he said it again just softly. Why did I make you? I go, okay, let me just give a cliche. You made me, you made me to serve you. That's why you made me. He goes, is there anything that I need to get done that I would need somebody as small as you to take care of for me? You're not making this any better, Lord. I'm not feeling any better. If you're trying to cheer me up, that didn't help. He goes, I can do anything I want. Why would I need to make a whole race of people to serve me? He goes, I can have anything I want. I go, oh, okay. He goes, why did I make you? I go, you made me, you made us to worship you, Lord. That's it. You want worship. He goes, 
do you really think I need to be worshipped? And I know that the Lord doesn't watch movies, but immediately I got this scene from Men in Black. I know, you know, we don't even believe in this, but I did. And there's all these uh, little miniature Martian guys that are all hailing this one guy in the movie. And he goes, do you think that's what I need? I go, no, no, no. There's just these little, they're like little ants, and they're all saying, hail, 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 and they're in this locker, whatever. Okay. <clears throat> so I go, okay, I get it. You don't need my worship. And because uh, a lot of people believe that, created a worship. It's a cool slogan on a T-shirt that's out there. And in some ways, if you redefine worship is, then the answer is yes. If you redefine worship as voluntary love, if that's what you define worship as, voluntary love, then he did create you for voluntary love. So then I go, okay, Lord, so let's get generic. You made me to fulfill my purpose. He said, what purpose could you possibly have without me? Why would I need to make you to fulfill a purpose? He goes, you have no purpose without me. And I go, oh, okay, Lord, I have no idea why I'm even here. <laughs> you, you, know, you boiled me down. I don't even know. I don't know why I'm here. It's, none of it makes sense anyway. I'm full of pizza, I'm garlicky, and I'm mad, and my youth group doesn't like me anymore. Just help. <clears throat> and he goes, son, what am I? Not even who. He goes, what am I? And I said, well, God is love. This is one of those conversations that all happened in a second, you know. I go, that's right. He goes, that's right, I'm love. He goes, what does that mean I must do? I go, well, if you're love, you must love. He goes, I must love, therefore I made you so I could love you. I wove together your DNA and gave you life and put air in your lungs. I created you to be loved. There's no purpose you have without me, though I let you do some things with me. Because I don't need your worship, but I want your love. Because if I am love, I must love that which could say no to my love. Because I had to make you with the ability to say no so I could love you without you having to say yes. He goes, I made you to love you. I'd say that, that car ride changed my life. So all of a sudden, I wasn't created to f- fulfill some purpose in God. I wasn't created to pet the ego of a mean God who needed worship. He gives me purpose in this life. It's a beautiful thing how God allows us to partner with him and seeing his will come to pass. But at the end of the day, you know what he made, he made us for? You know what he made you for? He made you to love you. He made you to love you. He made you to love you. And the place that this is going is absolutely beyond our wildest comprehension. It's going to the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness in the ages to come. He's gonna fully remove the veil and fully disclose his heart toward us. He's gonna release the God who is love itself. Love is something 
that exists within God, it is God. He's going to release the full measure of his ferocious desire upon you. He made you for that, that you could experience all that he is in goodness and then flow back and forth with him in love. That's where this thing is going. There's a dream in the heart of God. It's a dream of the ages. He's dreaming of that day right now. It's why he made you, beloved. It's why he made you. See, he could have you in that day. Fully disclosed intimacy. I love it. I love it. I can't, it's, it's amazing that it's that good. It is that good. It's why you're breathing today. Hmm. 8.30. Yes, Lord. You're not an accident. I don't care who said you were an accident. You're not. God created you because he desired you. You're not just lost in this world just trying to find your way the eternal Abba has a mission statement that he hasn't fully disclosed to you yet, perhaps, is that you would be his child without any veils in the way. He knows you. He knows you through and through. Every hair on your head, he knows you. He created you so he could love you. So he could love you. That's why you're here. All your list of good doings in this life mean nothing to him. He only wants your heart. That's what the Abba wants. It's called the riches of his mercy and love. We spend our entire life doing things that fully disqualify us from that reality and then trying to prove that we should be able to have that reality, that we are good enough. And the entire time he says, no, 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 my son. My son, I crushed him for you. I crushed him for you. I crushed him so I could have you. Just wants a yes. He just wants a yes in your heart. That's it. He just wants the yes. This incredible God of mercy and compassion. His name. It's the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Keeping mercy for thousands. That's you. That's his very name. You know, I was thinking about the commandment. Shall not take the name, the Lord God, in vain. 
man, I got, I got new light on that. Because his name is how good he is. His name is his mercy. His name is his patience with you. His tender mercy, his long-suffering, his kindness toward you, it's his name. If his name was something else, then you'd have reason to believe that he was sort of evil and sort of mean. That's not his name. His name is compassionate and kind, merciful, tender and patient, loving. It's his name. Jesus, I'm asking, reveal your name to us. 